Hello, fellow friends, family degenerates, and welcome to another edition of Caged Wisdom MMA. My name is Josh, and I am your host, along with Buck Schlurf over MMA Nerd. Happy Valentine's Day, you lovebirds. Happy Valentine's Day. If you haven't done anything for your special significant other, now is the time to do it, because we got what? Shit, stores are closing in like 15 minutes, probably. All right, I feel so, so bad. You got me this lovely little chocolate heart, and I didn't get you anything. Did you have a prop? Is that a prop? You yeah. You got that on, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, you gave it to me. Uh, I did. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so UFC 298, it's been a while since I've been on here. So uh, if, for those who don't know, and you wouldn't possibly know this, but during the last UFC event, my power was out for six days straight. <sighs> with two kids ended up having to go to hotel. And so wasn't able to do that. So our last fight that I was on the podcast was back in, uh, December, I think. So anyway, it's very, very good to be back. And it is very, very good to be back for this card, because I think that there is going to be some great fights for UFC 298. Um, you know, we're going to go through each and every fight in the main card. We're going to make predictions. We're not a betting program, but we will give you what the odds are and who we think is going to win and how we think that fight's going to go down. Uh, before we get into that, Buck, is there anything in the UFC that you wanted to get off or, or fighting in general you wanted to get off your chest? Um, A lot of headlines lately about who this mystery UFC 300 main event is. Um. We were just you, talking before yeah. John Jones or could it be Connor? Is Connor have a shot or is Usain uh, hold him back or whatever? Dana said that Connor couldn't fight until the end of the year. Connor is saying he wants to be on UFC like international fight week. So that's three Oh two. But everyone's the, got who, gunning for this for, for UFC 300 has to be right. Uh, they said it was going to be Hamzat and Leon Edwards, but Hamzat just said, I'm not going to fight during Ramadan. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Or I think the UFC 300 is like two or three days after Ramadan ends. Yeah. Don't they fast for. You can't eat during the day. During the day, right? I think. Yeah. Which is just a. Can you work out? Yeah, I think so. So I think you can drain yourself and torture yourself, but you can't replenish yourself with nutrients. Um, as, as tough to be a prize fighter in those circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, I'm not going to do it anymore. Like, um, I I think Khabib never fought during Ramadan either. Um, I don't think any of the devout Muslims do. Bilal Muhammad does. Um, and he, he said that he's, he said he's was wrestling as a kid and, and grew up, you know, in a place where the regular world didn't stop for Ramadan. So mm-hmm. even though he was, um, he had to fast wrestling still continued and stuff. So he just kind of grew up making do. Um, so he says, I totally get why everybody else won't. Um, but that's just something wow. I'm used to. And they're still not going to make him the main event because. Cause no one likes to watch Bilal Muhammad fight. Bilal Muhammad <laughs> deserves the fight, but I, yeah, you're not going to be the UFC 300 main event. Sorry. Dude. No, no chance. That guy's not selling a lot of tickets. It's not. It's nothing personal, but his fight style is. Mm, it's a little rough. <laughs> a little rough. Uh, um, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was um, this awesome fight card that happened. Uh, I want to say either a week ago or two weeks ago. Uh, Dogfight Wild Two, 
It's the it it's a promotion. It's a yearly event in Spain. Um, it's yearly so far. They've only done it twice um, with a bunch of freak show fights. Um, they had like they had a, a three on one. Um, they had a, a true no rules fight. Uh, they had like a one V five single elimination and, and then like a blood sport tournament. It's a great time. Uh, though it's, it's a shaky called, event. So, so again, what is it called? Uh, Dogfight Dog Wild Two. Dog. You can find the whole thing on YouTube, uh, and I think it's, it's probably in not pay per view. I don't yeah, think that would no. fly in the United States. No, it's good so TV can, though. It reminds me of like UFC One, where they had like what four fights a night or something like that. Uh huh. Some real goofy stuff. So if you want to have a great time, uh peruse through dogfight wild and have yourself an afternoon that's all that's all I'm gonna i had do it to when say. We go. I, I just heard about it too everybody so i'm gonna be doing that when i go when i go to bed tonight throw my ear pods ipods not ipods airpods whatever they're called and get in bed uh apple sponsor us sponsors please god <laughs> we'll somebody, talk about your AirPods. somebody fucking sponsor me please <laughs> all right so we're gonna get into the main event so uh the first fight kicking off the main card is Anthony Hernandez, who's minus 218, taking on Roman Kopolov at middleweight, who's plus 180. Uh, we've got Marab Devalishvili. That's going to be a real Marab. Talked about that earlier. Uh, minus 205. Bantamweight taking on Henry Cejudo, plus 170 in his, I guess, secondary return. Um, Jeff Neal, plus 180 at welterweight, fighting uh, the up and coming. Uh, Ian Gary, who looks like a world beater right now. And then uh, Robert Whitaker, minus 225 at middleweight, taking on Paulo Costa, plus 185. And finally, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, minus 130 at featherweight for the featherweight championship for the title, is taking on undefeated Spaniard Ilya, Ilya Taporia, uh, who's currently sitting at plus 110. I'm I didn't check the lines a lot before this, but I think the line on Ilya Tapuria moved. I think he might have been a favorite at one point. Maybe. Oh, that seems. It's is Yeah. You <laughs> know, this is, this is a standard case of everybody remembering. You remember those 13 rules that I did? If you haven't looked at those rules or listened to them, I did this podcast when I first kicked this thing off like two and a half years ago. And it was my 17 rules for for betting. And one of them was um, don't look at the last thing that they did. Look at the body of work. And this is a classic example. Now, Ilya Tapuria is, is a badass. And, you know, anything can happen there. And I don't want to get into my picks, but I think you know where this is going. <laughs> but if you look at the body of work of Alexander Volkanovsky, the guy is the GOAT. With, like, without question, right? I, it, I mean, this is... The featherweight what division has a history. This? This, I think this will be five. Uh, Max twice, Korean Zombie, Yair, uh, and Ortega. So this will be six, I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jose is always going to be up there in contention, but of course, yeah. But I mean, I don't think anybody who says Volkanovski is the best featherweight champion of all time is they're not wrong. I'll tell you that no. much. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit on. I just feel that Volkanovski might be a little bit disrespected by these odds, and these lines. I think it's foolish to go against that guy because Lord knows I've made a lot of mistakes with him as he was coming up. 
know, Uriah Faber and stuff like that a long time ago. All right, so first fight of the night, Anthony Hernandez, who's 11-2, and two, this fight's at middleweight, is taking on uh, the Russian, Roman Kopolov, who's 12-2. and two. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, they changed a little bit when you and I were talking ahead of this uh, recording when you reminded me that Kopolov was a short-notice replacement. Um, it was supposed yep. to be Ikram Aliskarov uh, having his third fight in the promotion. Um, but he pulled out and I don't even remember why, but Roman Kopilov stepped in about a month notice. He's interesting and I like him. Um, sure. when he first came in, he what was, was his nickname. You called him. Oh, I called him, uh, uh, dark chase Hooper. He's <laughs> like, uh, his alt, he's like his evil alter ego. Yeah. Um, who can only strike and have he no looks grappling. Just, he looks a lot like him, but his nose is almost completely flat. I, yeah, he looks like a like an like an evil Chase Hooper. Totally uh, does. from the upside down. Yeah. Um, but he has uh, improved his grappling. He's improved his takedown defense uh, and that sort of stuff in his time in the promotion. And his striking has always been very exciting and very interesting and and kind of unique. Um, he's on a four fight TKO streak right now. Yeah. And is, yeah. and and I think that's that's a direct result from his kind of unusual looks that he provides. Uh, and it hits like a truck. <laughs> he does. And and, and yeah. Hernandez uh, is tough and her and he's got it's great terrible. fundamentals um, and he's a really savvy grappler. And his like I think his tenacity, I guess you would say his tenacity or his his cardio and the pace that mm-hmm. he puts is a huge weapon for him. Um, but I have seen him struggle in the past to get takedowns on people that I think he should be taking down. Yeah. Um, his last win was against, yeah, Edmund Shabazian. Um, and he, it took him a long time to get that fight to the ground reliably. And he eventually did win. Um, but I, I I think I just saw, uh, it was standing, for a lot longer than I think he wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. And as good as Shabazian is on the feet, I think Kapilov provides a lot more um, unique and dangerous looks. Um, Oh, totally does. But, but you know, most of his fights with Kapilov is they, the TKOs don't happen until the later end of the fight. Right. So round two, late round two, early round three, Mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't believe he's got a single, if he does, he only has one first round finish. So mm-hmm. he's coming on Forex notice. He's taking on a grappler who's got tremendous cardio and he's going to be going, uh, 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 you know, he's, he's a notorious late starter. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's a problem for me. You know, one of my rules, again, we go back to that 13 rule thing is you never, ever take somebody coming in on short notice. Just on principle, because we don't know uh, if he had any injuries. We don't know how his diet was. We don't know what type of lifestyle this guy leads. Is he's like Conor McGregor? I mean, could you imagine Conor McGregor coming in on a short notice fight? <sighs> Oof! I think he's I, he might even smoke now. I don't know. I mean, just by listening to the guy's voice. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a chance that you know I don't I don't know what his lifestyle is like outside the outside the cage. But then I look at the. Uh, his body work. So he fought against, I might get this wrong, but uh, Fremo or Fremo, Hibero, Kapilov. Not one of those is any, and I consider uh, a ranked opponent or someone that I foresee being a ranked opponent. Am I, am I on that, right? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Claudio Hibero was his last. And then before that, it was like. His last one was Framo, wasn't it? Pretty sure it was. You might be right. Uh, and then he got that Italian guy that I don't remember. Uh, See what I mean? See, Alessio De Chirico. Um, yeah, but you're right. It, it He has not been tested um, with names, even like um, Anthony Hernandez has. Um, well, I'm, with, and Hernandez did lose to Holland via TKO. I think that's his last loss that he had. So Shabazian, Burial, uh, he beat Fremo. Fremo? I don't even know who that guy is. Like, if you put his face in front of me, I wouldn't be able to identify him, I don't think. I don't know. So we have a grappler, classic grappler versus striker. Striker is coming in on, on short notice. He is a notoriously slow starter, and he's going against someone that's got tremendous cardio. Now it's only three rounds, so obviously that's going to benefit Roman Kopalov. Uh, just give me, your, give me your gut feel on this. What do you think? These are uh, really well-known fighters, by the way. Um, I is... think I think Kopilov might be a slow starter, but I don't know that he has bad cardio. Um, well, but he hasn't been in a training camp. That's true. There's a, that's there's a, a difference, right? I mean, that's that's uh, the thing you got to you got to focus on the mm-hmm. most. I feel like in the last four eight weeks is is your your game plan and your cardio, your conditioning. I I still think that Kopilov has enough little tricks and and I think because Anthony Hernandez's striking is like fundamentally sound but it is the fundamentals mm-hmm. um I think that's going to be easier for Kopilov to read and predict and then counter. Uh I'd like he does like a step in body kick counter uh and and that's he'll do that a couple of times and then um, get the kick upstairs. Uh, that's how he won against Hibero. I I think he's going to pull something sneaky like that and and be able to set uh, Hernandez up to make a predictable uh, read okay. and get countered. I, I, I see where you're coming from on that. Uh, I don't disagree with you, but I feel that it would be violating too many of my golden rules to take Roman Kopilov. I think that this is a short notice fight. And also the person that dictates where the fight takes place is always going to have a decided advantage. Uh, in this case, you've got someone that's a really good striker versus a really good grappler. Uh, I don't know how Roman's takedown defense looks like, mm-hmm. but I know that Hernandez does have pretty good grappling. So um, I don't think this is, this is one that I would, I would like wrap up in anything. <laughs> to be honest with you, because we have no idea what's going to happen. And these are just a couple of educated guesses. And that's all that is on this fight. But you're going to take Kopilov. I'm going to take Hernandez. And so the next fight, we're going to move on for one that I am extremely, extremely excited about, which is Marab Devasfalavili. I can't say it. Devasfalavili. I want to say it's Dewalishvili. Dewalishvili. I can't say it. Then not my fault. Uh, Marab so Rob 16 and four taken on uh, the legendary Henry Cejudo is making his second return. looks like uh, after his loss, split decision loss against Aljamain Sterling back in December, who's 16 and three uh, Marab age 33s looked pretty damn good. Really good. Uh, Henry Cejudo is coming up on that golden age that uh, you know what I say 
and the golden rules, I hate talking about them anymore, but age 37 is where you start seeing the, uh, at 35, you start to see the skill set slow age 37. Sometimes you can see the desire to win, go away is what I've seen in my 25 years of watching the sport. Uh, it's not true with everyone like a Daniel Cormier, but especially at these lighter weights where you're completely dependent upon conditioning and speed, that's where things start to go south for these guys. So who knows 37? So that's, it's going to be very interesting. What are your thoughts? So I, it, I think that it's going to come down to how Henry Cejudo can deter Marab's takedowns. I think what Marab came off of this incredible performance. He was five rounds against Piotr Jan and he shot 49 takedown attempts and secured 11 of them. So maybe what is that? That makes him somewhere in the ballpark of 20%. Yeah. Like 22. Uh, But that doesn't matter if you're putting out 49 takedown attempts. That's insane. Yeah. That kind of cardio. Jan's not a bad grappler. Well, he's not. So Jan wasn't, he didn't get taken down on 80% of those shots, but he didn't do anything or didn't do enough to get Marab to stop doing it. Um, there wasn't, there was no price or there was a very little price to pay for Marab mm. to shoot over and over and over again. He's got the cardio for it. He didn't take a bunch of shots when he was doing it. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it benefited his offense. So there was nothing that stopped him from doing it. So it's going to be on Henry to punish those shots and make them worse for Marab. So he doesn't keep doing them or reverse them. Reverse them. Yeah. I could definitely see him doing. Yeah. And, and I don't know how good Marab is off his back because I haven't seen him there very much. Right. I think, I think that a lot of the success that Marab has standing also comes from his, grappling threat yeah. like he he makes you heavy on your front legs so that you are leaned forward and you can you know get under hooks and you've you know you got your hips back but doing that opens you up for this leg kicks and he beat the shit out of Piotr Jan's lead leg um over the course of their five rounds and yeah. and and I think all of those things rely on each other and I think if you slow down Marab's takedown like offense i think his striking is going to suffer a lot totally because of that i agree i i think that henry cejudo is has better has better technique on the feet so my concern mm-hmm. is if marab is not able to get cejudo down in the first round then he's got he needs to win the next two rounds which i think mm-hmm. is going to be very very difficult against a an elite level wrestler yeah, uh, and, and when I say elite, from a uh, just from an accomplishment standpoint, I think he's the most elite grappler, wrestler, the that's ever come from the UFC, right? I think he's who, the, who else is, who else has had a gold uh, Olympic? Uh, Kayla Harrison, but she hasn't fought in the UFC yet. Okay, <laughs> she's she's on UFC three hundred. Yeah, case um, in point. Yeah, um, Yoel is silver. Marco Madsen was silver. I don't think. I mean, there's a lot of like good jujitsu chops, but when we're talking about the Olympics, that's you know, in my opinion, a little bit of a different level. 
Uh, you know, you've got maybe Abu Dhabi gold mm-hmm. medal would be maybe the closest comparison I could think of when it comes to other grappling tournaments. Yeah. Um, and then that combined with the two, the two, uh, two belts that he held simultaneously. Yeah. Triple C, triple C was, was no joke, but the problem is he's, you know, he, he basically did a self-imposed retirement in mm-hmm. 2020. So his last three fights were, uh, Marais, he, who he beat via TKO in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, Dominic Cruz, who he beat via TKO in May, 2020. And then, uh, he lost the split decision to Aljamain Sterling back in December. And, you know, it was, it was a split decision fight. So it was a good fight. But uh, that was December of 22, I think, too. Or, or right? sorry, 20. Yeah, you're right. 2022. Yes. Yes. Um, so it's been a while since he fought then. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. It's hard for me to go against Zahudo on this. I think that there's too many things that have to go right for this fell, uh, from Rob mm-hmm. to, to win this fight. And is he what is the, the take on this? Uh, he's minus two hundred five plus one seventy for Cejudo. Even though the advanced age, I, I'm going to have to go Cejudo on this one. I th- I think that the reason Marab wins is because Cejudo has slowed down because of his age, and he has slowed um, down. He has slowed right. Down. So it's just a matter of how much. Because I think that, that even a slightly off of prime, I think Cejudo still has all the technical ability to solve the puzzle that is Marab. Um, there's looked, a couple dumb good or damn good against Sterling and Sterling is the training partner of Marab. Yeah. Right. So that's and, what, that's what opened all this up is mm-hmm. when uh, Sterling lost to uh, what's his name? This subway. Sam Sean O'Malley. Jones. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Him. Bantamweight champion of the world. Sean O'Malley. Ben, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're listening. The, yeah. You and Mike, uh, I think, yeah, I, uh, with this um, Aljamain fight too, Sterling is so big for, he was so big for bantamweight. Um, he's going up to featherweight at UFC 300, tune in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think that's where a lot of Cejudo's problems came from in that. It's just like, you can't over, there's only so much size and athleticism that you can overcome with skill, especially if it's Aljamain Sterling, who's incredibly skilled too. Um, I think that if, if, if they were, you know, at size parity, I think Cejudo does a little bit better against Aljo. And I think that Marab is smaller enough that that physical advantage might not be so prominent, uh, even though he is younger. He's not that much younger. But that, four that's, years. Yeah. Four years. 33, mm-hmm. three or four. I don't know. I'm going to go it's, against the grain on this one. I'm going to mm-hmm. take, uh, I'm going to take Cejudo. I think Cejudo as well. Um, Google, uh, if you're listening, go ahead and look up, uh, Benil Dariush versus Edson Barboza. Uh, that happened so many years ago at this point, but basically Dariush would jab, and then shoot and jab and then shoot and jab and then shoot. And he did that so many times. That was his takedown. He would set it up with a jab and then and duck onto the hips that eventually he stuck out a jab and Barboza just leapt into a flying knee and caught him going up. 
um, knocked him totally out cold. And Dwalsh really does that a little bit too. He, all of his takedowns are jab or lead right duck onto a single leg. Um, Mm. That is like his absolute go-to. He does it over and over and over again. And I think that Cejudo's will pick up on that if he hasn't already. Um, And he'll start timing that. He'll start timing that pretty quickly. And didn't he come Um, out with a fake coach change story? Yeah. Yeah. He's always, he's that just got rebuked. Yeah. The right word. Like, like an hour before he got on the podcast. Yeah. There, there was uh, news they, about he left his camp and longtime coach and yada, yada, yada. It was all BS. I think it was put out by him too. Wasn't it? He, he, uh, he quote unquote fired Eric Alberichin on, on the embedded, Amazing. like on camera. Uh, and then they came out and they're like, nah, just kidding. Uh, we're not actually doing that. Um, Triple C and one of those C's is for cringe. <laughs> that is a fact. Uh, all right. So moving right along, we've got Jeff Neal plus 180 taking on Ian Geary minus 218. Uh, so if you don't know, Jeff Neal 15 and 5, Ian Geary 13 and 0. Ian Geary has been on an absolute tear. Uh, beat the tar out of Magni in December, beat Daniel Rodriguez, TKO, beat Song Kanan. Uh, and then let's see, Jeff Neal, his last fight was, uh, was he lost what a standing triangle to, what was that uh, to Shavkat? Was that was yeah, Shavkat his last Rakunov. fight? Yep. His last fight. Uh, but he did beat Luke. He beat Ponzinibbio lost to Neil Magny, which if we're doing MMA math, Ian mm. Gary beat Neil Magny, right? So this is schoolyard stuff we're doing right now. Yeah. So if he beat him, then he can beat him. Uh, I just don't think anyone outside the top five is going to beat Ian Gary right now. That guy passes the eye test in spades right now. And he, as you were saying earlier on, uh, not only is he performing well, but his training methodology, I mean, he's going here. You, you tell us where, what camps has he been going to, uh, to build on this? Well, uh, he's been training all over. I think he was at TriStar um, at least for a bit. Uh, and then I know for a decent chunk of time he was training at. Um, it used to be Sanford MMA, but now it's Kill Cliff FC, I think. Uh, that's Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns, Shavkat Rachmanov, uh, Vicente Luque, Michael Chandler. Uh, that's a great gym in South sure. Florida. And he was there for he was there at least during the. Um, the Neil Magny fight and I think maybe before as well for a little bit but right now he is training in Brazil with, uh, at Shoot the Box Diego Lima so he is training with Charles Oliveira mm-hmm. uh, and Diego Lima and his whole team down there uh, and he looks like he is thriving um, based on the training footage that they've released based that's on a fight really, footage man Good. That's a gracious. really cool gym to be at. Because I thought uh, that I thought Neil Magny had a had a good shot because it's the you know it's the uh, the gatekeeper that always takes out the the up and comer. Uh, Magny just did it on the last pay per view. He just did it to yeah, Michael Mott. Boy, he sure waited a long time to do it though. <laughs> Goodness, yeah. yeah, that was. He did not look like he was going to win that fight until the very very end. Uh, so you know that makes you wonder if if Ian Gary just got an older Neil Magny or if he's just that good because Jeff Neil lost to Neil Magny. So 
Uh, Jeff Neal is a very good fighter, right? He's he's chronically underrated um, by me, by me as well. He just doesn't really stand out as excelling in any one thing, but he does. He's got really good hands. He's got good cardio, good hands. Uh, I don't know a ton about his takedowns or, you know, his ground game, Mm -hmm. but, you know, Ian Gary, but I do know he's been outpointed before by technical strikers like Magny, um, Steven Thompson, he went up against, and that's exactly who's across the cage from, but a younger version of those individuals with, well, I don't want to say better skill set because Stephen Thompson is one of the goats and all that. So I'll never disrespect Stephen Thompson, but Ian Gary has looked like an absolute killer. And his last performance surprised me with the ease that he took out Magny. And, um, you know, I, I think this is my personal opinion is this is Ian Gary's fight to lose. What are, what are the odds on it again? Um, he's got to be a huge favorite. He's not. It's is minus two eighteen. What? Okay. That, that I mean, in in like betting odds, when you look at Amanda Nunez coming in at a minus eleven hundred, that's <laughs> okay. a that's a landslide. That's got to be the exception, not the rule, though. It's not. Um, but still, I mean, you see it all the time, like these yeah. ridiculous odds. Uh, that's that's a lot closer than I thought it would be. What do you think? Well, am I missing something? I, I, well, so the most damning thing against Jeff Neal for me is the Wonder Boy fight. Uh, and what that showed to me was that Neal has a has a really unique game plan and he's got a really like well-honed set of skills uh, and they're very dangerous. But if they don't work, he seems to struggle to adapt to fighting a different way in the middle of the in the middle of a fight. Um he started off kind of like he was doing well against wonder boy in the, in the first round, but kind of like as Thompson got the timing was able to like, you know, set his patterns and kind of figure out how to intercept, uh, Neil, Jeff couldn't get any hands on him for the rest of the time. And he, mm-hmm. he wasn't able to do anything different. He wasn't able to like, he wasn't able to solve for that. And I think Ian Gary is going to be able to put, a similar problem in front of him. He's not going to be able to use the same tools that Wonder Boy's got because nobody's got those tools. But I, he does move very well. He does he's got some of his own well. tools, though. He, yeah, yeah, he, yeah you're totally sniper. right. He's a sniper, and he's able to keep that range because he's so mm-hmm. dangerous to blitz in on. And I think Jeff Neal, he's going to be relying upon his hands, and he's not going to win this fight. He's probably feels stronger like a, than Gary. Sure. But um, yeah, I, uh, Gary's I like his clinch work and I it's, I think and I, I'm, I'm interested to see him after all this time with Oliveira, too. Yeah, I mean, you were going to say this Ian is the Gary seems lock. like the one he seems like the guy, you know, he, he seems hungry. He seems I don't want to say like yeah. Conor McGregor was in 2016 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. but he was leaving no stone unturned because he had a vision to become the lightweight champion of the world or uh, bantamweight, whatever. Um, that's what Gary reminds me of right now. And Jeff Neal, while he's very, very good, nothing stands out about him. I don't think he'll ever be a title contender necessarily. Uh, but Ian Gary has got it written all over him. And I think this is not a showcase fight because it's too dangerous for that. But this is the UFC giving Ian Gary a very 
very good placement on the card with a ton of attention because it feeds right in to the next fight, which is Robert Whitaker taking on Paula Costa. Great fight. So Whitaker minus 225. This is middleweight taking on Paula Costa plus 185. Uh, Whitaker's age 33, Costa age 32. So no real benefit there uh, or, or difference. Now, here is the one difference though. Paula Costa, last fight, August 2022, uh, by Luke with against uh, Luke Rockhold, and before that, it was in 2020, 2021 uh, versus Marvin Vittori, and then Adesanya before that. So massive, massive layoff for Paula Costa, uh, and Whitaker just coming off his loss against Duplessis, uh, but also beat Vittori, lost to Adesanya. So anyway, long story short is these are two guys are kind of maybe coming towards the end of their tenure in the UFC as the top dogs. Uh, This could be Whitaker's really last run at the title. And you believe that this is a title eliminator, correct? So that's a tough one. I think it should be. um, No, I think this one puts him in a title eliminator. Now that that I think about it, I I would um, agree with that. I think they've got too many things to do at the, at the title. I think they want to give it to, um, they want to give it to Izzy again. They want to give it to Hamzat. Um, I think, yeah, they, there's, I I think if, if Rob wins, he might get Strickland or something like that. Strickland. Yeah, maybe. Um, and then he gets the title Mm -hmm. uh, or title shot. Um, I think Costa probably the same thing. Uh, I would love to see Costa and uh, Duplessis, frankly. <laughs> I think that'd be a ton of fun. Yeah, I do too. I think any of these guys versus Duplessis would be a fun fight. Costa just, you know, he's an entertaining figure because he runs his mouth a lot uh, and he looks good doing it. But, you know, this is, this, is, uh, this is a tough one because Whitaker surprised me with how much he seemed like he slowed down against Duplessis, but then looking at it objectively, maybe Duplessis is just that good, right? Is I that think the, that was the side of that. I definitely, that was the fight that kind of opened my eyes. I think I had written Duplessis sure. off um, over and over again. And that was the fight where I thought like, okay, like I can't keep doing this. Clearly there's something that I haven't been seeing. Um, and I need to look more closely. And and after that, I had a lot more respect for what Duplessis could do. Mm-hmm. I I I think he Duplessis capitalized on a couple of things that Whitaker does, and and some mistakes that or not mistakes, but like some tendencies that he has um, in a very clever way. And I don't know if Cost is going to be able to exploit those yeah. those same sorts of tendencies. Cost is a brawler. Yeah. He's and, got that I mean, dog he, in him. He, he came into the UFC known for his ground game. So, I mean, don't kid yourself. He's really, really good in the ground. But he's a brawler where I think Whitaker, uh, more technical striker. He's got more mm-hmm. tools that he can win this fight with. Mm-hmm. And you throw in a long layoff. And, and here's another example of someone that when I think about professionalism outside of the ring, Paula Costa sits very differently in my mind than someone like Robert Whitaker. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. 
I don't think you are though. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so either. But two years of, um, you know, partying and drinking and he likes the nightlife. He's, you know, obviously like a womanizer. I don't know if you can say that nowadays, but not, maybe not in a bad way, but you know, he's definitely likes to go, you know, party and meet ladies and go out at night and he likes to drink. I think that could be a problem with him because of the massive layoff and Whitaker, I believe is, you know, he knows. And I I think he even said something in an interview recently that he wants to get the title and he wants to retire. So this is, he's looking at this as not a stepping stone, but a step towards meeting his final objective, which is to get that title back. And, you know, while Paula Costa is very, very good, uh, I don't think he has what it takes to be an on point Whitaker, which is, I think is what we're going to see with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, just listening to everything Whitaker has been saying about the previous fight and uh, his training camp leading up to this. I think he's just going to be sharp. I think he's going to, I think it's going to look a lot like, um, his performance against Vittori where he's mm-hmm. going to be able to dance around on the outside and Vittori's, uh, tried to close the distance, just like Paulo is going to try and close the distance. Um, and they're just not going to be able to trap him where they need to. Uh, mm-hmm. And and Whitaker's got so many good intercepting tools, especially if you're trying to come in on him at a straight line, um, sure. like like Costa's want to do. And he and he uh, hits so hard. He he makes people pay so hard. He, it's so crazy. Robert Whitaker for being such a like affable dude. Like he seems so friendly. He's a super mean fighter. Mm-hmm. Like he's a he's a jerk uh there the interview after uh back in 2020 when he fought darren till uh he was doing uh the same kicks that romero did to him uh the like oblique kicks to the knee um uh whitaker started doing those and uh till said he tore something in his knee at like the first or the second round and they interviewed him afterwards and they said hey rob uh darren till said uh, you blew out something in his knee and Rob goes, Oh, was it the sidekicks? And he's like, I think it was, I'm going to sidekick more. Like he wants to go yeah. in there and like, like the goal for him is to go in there and cripple you for like a long time and mm-hmm. hurt you and make you not want to not fight anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a super mean way to fight. And John Jones and gets in trouble for that a lot. Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, yeah, with the like uh, the wizard hook that like internally rotates your arm sure. really fast. All it's all it's mean shit like that that Whitaker really likes to do. Um, and and Costa, I think, doesn't have. Um, Costa has a lot of very good tools, and sure. I think he pressures really well, and he varies his targets really well. Um, he has a lot of really good offensive tools, but they're straightforward tools. Um, and I don't know that he's going to be able to like be tricky enough to, to draw Whitaker in when he shouldn't or, or something like that. I think that Costa's is going to rely on being able to trap him and, and bang him out. And I don't know that he's going to get it. It's not going to be as easy as he wants it to. You mean for Whitaker? For Costa to trap, to trap. Oh, it's going to be real hard for him to do that. And he's going to be, yeah, he's going to, I think he gets tired too. I think he's going to put a lot of effort. I think he's going to get frustrated Hmm. by not being able to get hands on him or get him pinned up against the side. 
and, and I think he's going to have to deal with quite a few blitzes, which, which um, you know, Whitaker's really, really good at. When he push people, he can push people across the entire cage with his combinations. Yeah. Um, the the blitzes have gotten him in trouble. Um, uh, against that's who? how uh, Duplessis. You mean like Adesanya? Uh, oh, Duplessis yeah, yeah that, that's true. That's true. Maybe that, that was a, like an intercepting map. jab. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and and so what it is is uh, uh, Whitaker comes in and Duplessis was able to intercept with a jab. Uh, the other time he really got rocked was against Darren Till. And Darren Till um, didn't jab, but he parried um, Whitaker's oncoming hand with his jab hand uh, and stepped in on an elbow and cracked Whitaker like yeah. right across the nose. Yeah. Um, so there is this that that instance where Whitaker does have to commit his full weight and charge in. Um, he's gotten punished for that a couple of times, but it you don't do it on accident. And, and I think you have to be really clever about how you are keeping yourself positioned when he does that so that you are in position, you know, that you are um, capable of landing that a counter when you need it. I don't know. Do you, do you think that Paula Costa is a smart fighter? I think he is a smart fighter. I don't know. Like he, I think he doesn't make a bunch of fundamental mistakes. Um, I don't know if he's, a, he's not a clever fighter. I don't think if that's different enough. Um, I think it's very different. Yeah. He doesn't. Paulo Costa never gets caught head hunting. Um, he works the body and he works the legs and he's always varying his targets. You can't mm-hmm. defend the same thing twice because he's he's always picking his shots really well. He pressures super well without throwing punches um, and he cuts off the cage really well laterally. Um, he corrals people with, you know, his power hand on one side and these big step up body kicks on the other. He's got a lot of he he does the things he does really well and he does them right. Um, so I do think he's a smart fighter. Um, but yeah, he does. There's just not enough. I, I don't know that that's enough setups and mm-hmm. uh, adjustments during the fight and not getting emotionally vested, which I feel like he does sometimes. Mm-hmm. I can uh, see that, you know, namely against like Vittori, but he came in looking really, really bad against Vittori. That was so, so weird. That that fight was at middleweight or that was at light heavyweight. Just because he Costa, so <laughs> he decided he didn't want to cut weight. Um, he just said, "No, I'm actually not going to make 185. I'll do 190." And then he weighed in at 205 anyway. Yeah, um, that was a while. But ago, then he it? went for five yeah. rounds and he looked good all five rounds. I, it's he hard did, to understand. Yeah, it's hard to understand. Paulo Costa gassed, and I don't know where his head's at. And I think I know where. I think I know where um, Whitaker's head's at. And sometimes, yeah. you know, that's what I tell people. There's three things you got to do to win a fight. There's three-legged chair. There's the physical side, the skill side, and the mental side. If one of those isn't been worked on, is not taken seriously, it, it's a cascade effect. Anyway, that's you know, take that take that to your dojo, whatever you need to do. All right, so the final fight, uh, and this is going to be uh, an absolute banger fight is Alexander Volkanovsky, who is sitting currently at minus 130 for the featherweight title, taking on Ilya Tapuria, plus 110. 
Volkanovsky's 26 and three. He is 35 years old, which is an interesting point. Uh, taking on Ilya Tapuria, who is 14-0, age 27, which is what I consider 27 to 32, the absolute prime of a UFC fighter. That's not maybe a light heavyweight or a heavyweight because heavyweights can have a little bit of a longer, longer mm-hmm. tenure typically, or they can last a bit longer because power is the last thing to go. But you know, th- this is where we saw what happened with Volkanovski last time against Islam Makachev, and I alluded to it. Actually, I just flat out said it in the opening. Uh, everyone remembers the last fight. That was on two weeks' notice. And Islam Makachev, at the end of the run, might be, very well be in line with the Khabibs, the GSPs of the world, as one of the best to ever do it. And Volkanovsky, he looked slow in that fight. He looked soft in that fight because he hadn't been training. Uh, he looked ill-prepared emotionally, ill-prepared physically, and you know he got his he got his lunch handed to him. But everyone's afterwards is like, "Oh, what's wrong with them? You know, maybe he's depressed or whatever the stuff was." He's just not used to losing. Is my take on it? Ilya Tapuria has been absolutely steamrolling people since his entrance into the UFC. Uh, his last four fights: Josh Emmett, Bryce Mitchell, Jai Herbert, Ryan Hall steamrolled those guys uh except with one you know with emmett i believe that was a that was a decision fight if i remember correctly he did he, get hit it was a decision but he i think he got he like got a caught. 50 43 in one of those a rat like one of the yeah. judges gave him a 54 i mean he kicked his ass I, I i've always uh thought he looked good i didn't know he looked this good when he started to emerge around the the bryce mitchell time frame in my eyes but um, it's going to be an interesting fight because I think that everyone's giving Ilya Tapuria. I don't know if it's because they're giving him more respect or because they're disrespecting Volkanovsky because of his last performance. I think if Volkanovsky never took that fight with Islam Makachev, that this would probably be somewhere in the line of like 250, minus 250 for Volkanovsky. But because that happened, everyone's concerned that maybe he's not the, the same fighter. This could be a, a career-changing type situation where he emotionally breaks or spiritually breaks. I don't see it happening, man. You got to show me something. You've got to show me something before I'm ever going to take someone over Alexander Volkanovsky. And it's not going to be a two-week notice fight against someone weight class above that is arguably one of the best fighters in the UFC in pound for pound. Your thoughts? That's. I mean, that's as plain as you could say it. Like you've got to be absolutely spectacular. Um, You've got to be like nobody we've ever seen before. If I'm Mm -hmm. going to pick you over Volkanovsky. And even if you are somebody like I've never seen before and are like one of the best ever, I still might pick it Volk. I did uh, against Islam and I was wrong, but like, I see why you did it. Everyone sees why you did it. I, the things that Volk does so well are things that, Ilya Tapuria has not encountered in his young career. Mm-hmm. Um, Volk plays tricks. He has traps. He he is constantly fainting and making reads and asking questions and and setting and, and keeping you on your toes and unable to read his movements. He is so 
difficult to adapt to technically and um, speed and power and, he, and grappling. Yeah. I'll factor into that too. I, I think, um, Ilya Taporia has shown some weaknesses in the past. Um, and Volk hasn't Volk hasn't. I, I mean, yes, there is, um, every possibility that Ilya is just faster on the night and he, he, dude, he hits so hard. Um, and he rocks Volk and gets him down to the ground and jumps on him and pounds him out and is the new champ. I, it could totally happen, mm-hmm. but I just, it's just so much more in line with what I have seen for when Ilya fought Bryce Mitchell, he tooled on him for the first round pretty handedly. Um, and it wasn't until Bryce started stepping in with double jabs that he was able to engage Taporia on the, on the feet enough to set, set up his own takedowns. It was once he started like closing the distance behind a double jab and drawing a counter from Taporia that he could get under it, get on the hips and, and he was able to take him down. And, closing the distance with a double jab Volkanovsky does that to get to his coffee in the morning. Like Mm -hmm. he, like those are things that he does so well. And so often um, he is just crafty like that. Uh, I think that the other thing that I see from Taporia is he shoulder rolls a lot. Um, He does the, the, the Philly shell or whatever you want to call it. Um, The same thing that Dustin Poirier does where you stand in kind of like a more bladed stance and you are defending your outside um, or the, the closed side with the big mass of bone and meat that is your shoulder. And you're hiding behind that and rolling with punches and stuff like that. Um, And it's really good uh, in boxing and it's been used really well in MMA. Um, but what that means is that you're kind of left defending your open side with just one arm. Uh, and, and if you are punching with that arm, it's not defending and you don't have anything else to defend with. Um, the one time Topuria has looked like he was in any real trouble was against Jai Herbert. Um, a fight that Topuria took up a weight class at lightweight. Um, but it happened when, uh, Herbert fainted a jab uh, and uh, Taporia bit on the feint and swung big with his right hand and Herbert just backed right up and threw a head kick up after his fainted jab and caught Taporia totally off guard, caught him right in the neck and knocked him down um, and almost got him stopped. That is just one of the risks of playing that sort of guard that philly shell that's that angle the mm-hmm. bladed side on kind of stand it's just one of the risks of it uh dustin poirier just got knocked out by justin gaethje same sort of deal um when you only have one thing in the way uh, you know i remember poirier got his hand up but got knocked out through it because it's just it's just not enough of a defense just having your little arm in there um you can, that's not like a free knockout button. Um, you do have to get to it. You have to set it up. You have to sure. um, avoid all the significant firepower that Tapuria can throw back in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are things that I totally trust Volkanovsky to do. 
I, he's when we were talking about Costa, you know, asked, is he a smart fighter? Mm-hmm. Volkanovsky is is the definition. He is. You look up in the dictionary, like smart fighter, intuitive fighter, crafty fighter, and and that's what he is. And uh, he's dangerous in every facet. You know, he's Tapuria's got a really really good submission game. I mean, he came in primarily known as a jujitsu guy, mm-hmm. and he can, until he, he can, started banging everybody he's, out. He's, yeah, he's got he's got serious hands on him too, though. And so that's going to be somewhat nullified. Uh, you know, when Ortega almost took out Volkanovsky with the the guillotine, right? Mm-hmm. If I remember yeah. correctly, mounted you know, guillotine and then a triangle right after. Yeah, I mean Volkanovsky didn't submit to that, and I think uh, from a speed perspective, I don't know. Power perspective, I don't know. I think they're both pretty, pretty, uh, pretty competitive. But from a sure craftiness and ringmanship. I think that Volkanovski is going to take it. I think he's going to chew up the leg. I think he's going to be tough to hit. I think he's going to set a lot of traps, and I think he's going to open up something that Ilya has never seen before because he's never fought someone as skilled as Alexander Volkanovski. And I, there's not a way in hell I am going to take anyone over Volkanovski until I see something just flat out amazing. And usually, those guys you can see that are you know, unless it's age that takes out Volkanovski. The mm-hmm. guys that take out Volkanovski are ones that you see coming up in the ranks like a year and a half before, like the Hamzats of the world. Where you're like, that guy is going to be a world beater. Khabib, when you saw him, world beater, no questions asked. John Jones, world beater. Uh, Adesanya, world beater. All those guys you knew about and were prepared for when they finally made it to the title. That's the kind of shit you got to see. To, to even have the conversation about taking out Alexander Volkanovsky. Ilya Tapuria is a damn good fighter, and he's got a lot of years left in his career. I think this might be just a little bit early for him uh, to come take on the GOAT right now. Couldn't have said it better myself. Perfect. I'm glad we agree on that one. So we're both taking Volkanovsky. Uh, just to recap, so you're I'm taking Hernandez in the first fight. You're taking Roman Kopolov. Uh, Correct. We are both taking Henry Cejudo. Uh, we are both taking Ian Gary against Jeff Neal. We're both taking Robert Whitaker, and we're both taking Alexander Volkanovsky. So not a lot of parody there, but that's okay. That's okay. We called it how we saw. Great it, minds right? think alike. Yeah. 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 I, you know, we we do our our own research uh, in a vacuum over here, and then we come to the table. We talk about it a little before we get on the call, and. Uh, I think we both had really good points on this, and I think uh, I think that's how it's going to play out. I'm very comfortable with that, even though this is a very very competitive fight. So, um, that being said, that is UFC 298. We got UFC 299. Which uh, who's fighting that one? Do you know? That's uh, Sean O'Malley and Cheeto Vera. Okay, the that, rematch for the belt. That's interesting. That's an interesting title fight. Uh, uh, Dustin Poirier versus Benoit Saint Denis. Okay. Uh, Santini is jumping up from like the 15th ranked. Uh, yeah, I was about to say that's uh, hmm. Matt Frivola all the way up to number three, Dustin Poirier. Okay. Uh, let's see. Gilbert Burns is fighting Jack Della Maddalena. Okay. Uh, that's right. going to be a fight. big test for uh, upcoming welterweight. Uh, Piotr Jan is fighting Song Yedong, which is going to be great. That's going to be a great fight. That will be really that fun. That is very exciting. 
Okay. And then the last or the first fight on the main card is Kevin Holland against Michael Venom Page making his UFC ooh, debut. Ooh, really? From Bellator. Yeah, that's going to be Dude, a ton of fun. Dude, that's going to be a great fight. Michael Venom Page, he is who was the guy he actually broke his skull? That was Evangelista Santos. Yeah. Um, he, that was Chris Cyborg's ex husband. Concaved his skull. Uh, I've never seen anything like that. But the thing, how, how old is Michael Venom Page now? Uh, he's up there. He's up there. I, yeah, if this, I, he would have been so much fun in the UFC when he was in his early 30s. Yeah. But I think he, he might be 40 now. No, he's closing. I don't think he's that old, he's but not, he's getting there. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, Holland is arguably my favorite, uh, mouthpiece in the UFC. I love he's watching a, that guy fight. These two are going to have a great time. Great time. Great time. All right. Then after that, UFC 300. So we'll be back for UFC 299. And we're going to go ahead and sign out. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the fights. We'll do a little recap uh, next week. But if I don't see you then, I will see you all UFC 299. All right. Over and out. Thank you.